Good morning. My soundtrack today is The Heart of Seoul, Korea. I'm staying in what is called a boutique hotel, but I can tell you that um, it's more like a guest house and therefore the places I can record are pretty rare. <laughs> I thought about trying to do so in the stairwell, but I can hear communicating in their bedrooms, you know, moms with kids and so forth. So I know if I were talking in the stairwell, that would be an issue. Anyway, a few things about not recording inside. So said, okay, here it goes outside. I want to talk today about spiritual parentage. Spiritual parentage. Those who were involved with you, connected to you at your time of new birth experience. And um, I want to say right off the bat that there is, there are none of my uh, Jesus babies, as I call them, who has triggered this. Be at peace. Mom is not upset at any of you. <laughs> it's just been in my spirit. And so I want to communicate it to the body of Christ. Um, we live in a time where traditional family has been under attack for so long that it's common for multiple generations of children to grow up without knowing what a family in the sense as it's written in scripture is like um i it, it's it's a unique thing for a mother and a father to be married to be together to be partnering raising their children and uh that is when we see scripture talking about family that's the baseline it's coming from and that's not to to throw shade on those who do not come from a two-parent household or are is a single mother or a single father raising their child um because it's not been exemplified there is there are enough people who have been saved and are navigating their spiritual journey without the benefit of coming from a family the way the scripture describes family. And so when people talk about parenting roles or, or various family roles, children roles, husband roles, wife roles, 
there's a, a gap in our education as to what that means. And um, that's, of course, been the devil's work, good pleasure to keep that knowledge away in efforts to weaken those who are seeking to be in the family of God. But it is my good pleasure to bring education. And that's what I hope to do today. I want to talk about um, this. I, I actually preached about this last week when I was in Thailand. And I want to start with Second John chapter 1, verse 1. And this says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. And then that chapter ends so beautifully. Second John chapter 1, verse 13. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. I just love that. It starts by addressing a lady by the word by the way the word elect means picked out chosen she was a chosen lady and when the scripture uses the word children it is not necessarily talking about your biological offspring um, in the new testament pupils or disciples were often called children of their teachers and while this chapter is warning, uh, it's a warning to this elect lady that she be on guard about the fellow leadership that may travel through, that she be on guard about who she associates with and who she allows to speak to her congregation. And though it's written to the elect lady and her children, just like all scripture is read by male and female and applied to male and female. This chapter, a, a male pastor, a male overseer of a group of people could also read it and take the same warnings that are in Second John chapter 1. What I am wanting to talk about today is honoring those spiritual overseers. And as a, a spiritual mother to many, and, and what I mean by being a spiritual mother to many is that I have been a part of their new birth. I taught them the word to the best of my ability. Sometimes I was the first person to teach them the word. Sometimes um, they were um, directed to me after someone else had reached the max of what they could teach. And these people, I, I tend to refer them as, to as my spiritual babies. The older I get, the more maternal I get in my role as a mentor. I'm, I used to be just a teacher. You know, I, I just taught, I was in, I was out. But the older I get, the more maternal I feel towards the, the people that God is putting in my life to disciple. And so in those roles, I reveal to these people things about me that are, 
that just the public does not know. They know these people learn uh, things about my home because they they end up inside it. They they learn uh, things about my emotions, things that trigger me. Um, they start learning. That's the kind of relationship we begin to build. And in that, I I try to exemplify how to live righteously um, to the best of my ability. I, of course, am human and I fail just like any mother. I don't make the right choices all the time. And by any mother, I mean mother of biological children. In my spiritual role as motherhood, I don't always make the right choices, but I do my best and I, I, I mother on purpose. I am very purposeful about it. And so I speak from that experience today. And also I speak as a pastor's daughter. I, I grew up um, with my parents partnering and I know a lot of people think of my parents as their parents. And so I have um, shared them with the world, really, all over the world. But particularly in our local congregation, for me, that's in Bellevue, Florida at Souls Harbor. And so I know how connected a pastor feels to a person who has been born again into their flock. That's a, it's, it's a different depth. You know, my parents taught Bible studies weeks and weeks and months and months. They took new converts with them on vacations. They had them in their home. They exemplified everything. I have seen my parents, depending on who the new converts were, who the new disciples were, I have seen my parents teach people everything from hygiene to uh, the Word of God, to theology, to uh, how to take vacations, how to prioritize church. I have seen my parents teach hundreds and hundreds of people. And as a pastor's daughter, I know how connected a pastor feels to each individual person. It amazes me that to this day, my dad is now in his 70s. My parents are in their 70s. And to this day, they will say after a church service, where did you see so-and-so tonight? Did you see so-and-so tonight? And I won't even, (laughs) I won't even know their names. I'll be like, who's that? And they'll say, well, you know, she, this color hair or, or that they always wear this thing, or they always, they sit there. They, um, to this day that we're talking about hundreds of people. This is how connected my parents are to their flock. Their soul lives and dies for one of their lambs. When Jesus said, which of you being a shepherd? He, he knew as soon as he talked about wouldn't leave the 90 and 9 and go look for the one lost lamb. He knew as soon as he used the phrase, which of you being a shepherd wouldn't leave the 99. He knew every shepherd was going to get that. People who were not a shepherd might not get it but people who were shepherds get it. So when I tell you how close your pastor is to your soul, and you may not even know it, 
It is true. In fact, it's true to the extent that it is every pastor I have ever known. And that's a lot because my my parents' closest friends were pastors. Their struggle is to keep their biological family in its proper place because the love for the flock is so deep. It's an amazing, special kind of love. It's a powerful, powerful kind of love. In our modern culture, relocating from city to city, from state to state, is so normal. And I've got to say, as a person who has seen a lot of transplanting from from state to state based, and you know, for good cause, um, I'm not talking about church hopping where you live in, in the same town and you just keep changing churches based in the same town or, or you know, within, within 15, 20 miles. That, to me, that's church hopping. That's unhealthy. And I'll do a different podcast on that another time. But I'm just even talking about moving from state to state. You move for your job or you move because your mother is ill and you have to go take care of her and, and so forth. I'm talking about for good cause. Moving is normal, but it's not the healthiest situation, just like transplanting a tree is not healthy for the tree. The root system goes through a shock, and it's not guaranteed that the tree is going to die just because it's been transplanted. But anyone who cares for plants knows that transplanting is precarious. And so in that, not only is the person relocating experiencing difficulty and pain and and shock and stress, but the pastor who is having to say goodbye is also, and his wife is also, and likely that means their children are also. There is such a domino effect of of emotion that is involved in this, that it should never be done for lighthearted reasons, for it should never be done outside of the absolute necessity will of God. And it's personal to the pastor, to the flock, to the spiritual mother or the spiritual father. It's a very personal feeling. We see this revealed with with the Apostle Paul. Paul writes in Colossians 4.14, he mentions some people with him. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. In, in Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, Marcus, or Aristarchus, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. He refers to these people who are working closely with him. So we see this name Demas come up twice. And then we see it again in 2 Timothy 4.10, where he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. Paul felt it personally. If, if we're talking about the fact that Demas left because he loved this present world, well, that actually does not fully mean that he left Paul. He actually left the Lord. 
He left the ways of Jesus, but because it's such a personal feeling to a pastor, to a mentor, to a teacher, we see Paul saying, Demas hath forsaken me. That's how Paul felt about it. That was the the depth that Paul felt. He's forsaken me having loved this present world. And so I just wanted to give that example of Paul to say that when a pastor, a, a leader, somebody who has been mentoring you, when they feel personally wounded, that's normal. They, they don't, they, sh- they shouldn't be made to feel selfish or, or that they are acting or behaving inappropriately. That's normal. And we see it all the way back at the beginning of the New Testament church. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we get the instruction, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land honor thy father and thy mother. And then in Exodus 21, 15, it says, he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And so we know that the Old Testament law, especially this that falls within the Ten Commandments, those are basic moral laws that we abide by. But but it's also a spiritual application that we know still applies. And so he that smites his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And I know that's a spiritual application of a spiritual death. And I'll try to talk about earthly parenting and, and that relationship in another devotional, but I want to shed light on proper behavior toward our pastors, toward our, our spiritual leaders right now. I want to read a journal entry that I wrote from this past April. The day you feel it is beneath you to call or contact or connect with your mentor is the day you've risen above them. And rising above them may be okay unless that mentor is your spiritual father. Pastoral authority is spiritual fatherhood. Paul gives us insight into what that looks like as a son with a father, he hath served with me, he writes in Philippians 2.22. As a son with a father, he hath served with me. From Genesis to Revelation, every proper father-son role involves the son serving with the father. An example of this not occurring is in the story of the prodigal son. But we're not trying to follow in that son's footsteps. We're trying to walk in the footsteps of those who made efforts to honor their father. We even see examples of sons honoring their father, even when that father didn't deserve it. For instance, when Noah was found drunk by his sons, the son who mocked his father was cursed. The sons who did their best to honor him despite what he gave them to work with were blessed. There is a precedent in scripture of how to honor your father. And it's not with a tie and a barbecue once a year. It is by being available to and with them. I am 
talking about your pastor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. You do not have 10,000 instructors. You have one father. Be a follower of that father. What does the father-son relationship look like when it is pastoral? The son serves with and follows the father. The father does not serve and follow the son. If you're home or away waiting on your spiritual father to serve you hand and foot by a text or a phone call to baby you, you're doing it wrong. Christ demonstrated how mentor and disciple relationship is supposed to work. The disciple follows. The mentor and definitely the spiritual father does not follow the disciple around to see how they're doing. The mentor knows how the disciple is doing because the disciple is following them everywhere. The disciple is following through storms, to ill-equipped weddings, to empty fields without enough food for people. Each disciple was following Jesus. Jesus was not running around checking up on each disciple. What if a spiritual father goes off the rails? What if a spiritual father starts behaving wrongly, doing things wrong? Well, David the psalmist demonstrated that response. Stay out of his way, but do not assassinate his character. Do not speak badly of him, and definitely do not go start your own kingdom. Just stay out of his line of fire. But outside of that, honor, serve with him, and follow your spiritual father. The day you feel it is beneath you to call or contact your mentor is the day you presume to have risen above them. That's the doomsday you have adopted a new dad. Isaiah 14 verses 13 through 15. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Your spiritual father is not your peer. Be careful. The day you act on that assumption is the day you adopt a new daddy. You are of your father, the devil. Spiritual sons honor their spiritual fathers, not the other way around. Spiritual sons serve with their spiritual fathers, not the other way around. Spiritual sons follow their spiritual fathers, not the other way around. So what happens when a spiritual son becomes a spiritual father? Well, I have seen a father become a son, but I have never seen a son cease to be a son. If a son in the gospel becomes a father to others in the gospel, and I mean if he becomes a pastor or a mentor himself, his burden and responsibilities have increased because he must still serve with and follow his father. A precedent and example of this is seen with Jacob and his sons. While also being a father, he must continue to be a son. You keep honoring, serving with, 
and following all the days of the father's life. If you question if or when you can start doing things your own way, you'll have to ask Timothy. That's how things are done once we get to heaven. Because Timothy did eventually lose Paul to death. And I do not believe he changed a single thing in the church leadership or teaching. I think one of the reasons we have the New Testament preserved as we do is because those initial sons of the gospel didn't change one jot or tittle of the doctrine they received from their spiritual fathers. On the other hand, when you get to heaven, you'll have to ask Solomon how that worked out for him once his father, David, died. From my study, It was primarily a downhill trajectory from the moment Solomon started making decisions off course from his father's way. I think you can see that my opinion based on scriptural precedent is that you do not graduate to your own way once your spiritual father goes on to his reward. It is my point of view that you continue honoring, serving, and following even after the father's death. If you are a minister of the gospel, call or text or connect with your pastor weekly to stay in sync with honoring, serving with, and following that man or woman of God. If you are being mentored by somebody, you tag in with them. You follow them. They do not follow you. My point of view, because we have so many fractured families in the world today. And since I come from one of the most loving, still together families, I'm going to give you our insight. Be careful not to project your broken family onto your spiritual parentage. It breaks my heart for you that you do not have a unified family unit. I'm so sorry you've needed to do life alone. Parental presence makes all the difference in the world. Parental presence makes all the injustices that happen in our lives much more bearable. Your fathers and mothers in the gospel love you. They give up dreams and career opportunities to serve you. Honor thy father and thy mother.